Well, stories of survival can be fascinating. Uh, on November the 10th, 1912, Douglas Mawson, Xavier Mertz and Belgrave Ninnis left base camp in Antarctica to explore the coastline. Uh, after five weeks, disaster struck. Uh, on the 14th of December, Ninnis, along with six of their fittest dogs, their tent, most of their food and their spare clothing all plummeted down a crevice and all was lost. The remaining sled had only 10 days of rations for the two men and nothing for the remaining six dogs. They were 500 kilometres from base camp and they wouldn't be considered overdue for more than a month and so there was no rescue party coming. The dogs became a food source for Mawson and Mertz but this only lasted 10 days. After another week, Mertz developed uh, severe stomach pains, began to go insane, and on the 5th of January, Mertz refused to go on. So Mawson hauled him into the sled and for two days dragged him along in the snow. But then Mertz died. For 10 more days, Mawson trudged on, the flesh on his feet separating, exhaustion setting in, and on the 17th of January, Mawson himself fell down a crevice. However, his sled wedged above him, and so he was left dangling by the rope that attached him to his sled. So he struggled to pull himself out, reached the lip of the crevice, and then fell back in. Delirious and exhausted, he wanted to die. But he pressed on, eventually getting himself out, and continued to make his way to base camp. However, to make matters worse, as if they could be, his ship, the Aurora, had to leave before he got back to camp because of the encroaching sea ice. Six men, though, stayed behind in the vain hope that Mawson and his crew might survive. When Mawson eventually did reach base camp, his incredibly thin body and skin loss had made him unrecognisable. Upon seeing him, one of his colleagues exclaimed, which one are you? On all accounts, Mawson should have died, but there he was, alive. And as remarkable as Mawson's survival was, what we have here on Easter Sunday is even more so, because Jesus didn't just cheat death and survive remarkable odds, he actually did die, was dead for about 36 hours or so, and then lived to tell the tale. Jesus survived not just a life-threatening situation, but a life-ending situation. His corpse walked out of the grave. And for many of us here, we base our lives on this fact. Mawson's escape from death is interesting and fascinating, but Christ's resurrection from the dead is amazing and life-changing. And we'll see why in a moment. But it might be that you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking that, this is all a bit far-fetched. I mean, when someone dies, they stay dead. And fair enough. This isn't an ordinary event. But it may surprise you that there is, in fact, ample historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's far more than just plausible that Jesus really did walk out of his grave. Plenty of books have been written about it, and I can point you in the direction of some of them if this is an issue for you. As it was an issue for the people that were there that very first Easter Sunday. We've just had Luke 24 read to us, and the disciples consistently struggle to believe that Jesus really could be alive. Even when they are with him face to face, they still don't get it. And what Luke does to help us, his readers, 
is each time the disciples are wondering about what's happened, Luke gives us an explanation to help us to understand. It happens three times in the chapter, and each time we're given a little bit more of the significance of Jesus rising from the dead. So hopefully by the end, we're a lot clearer about what Jesus coming back alive is all about. So let's have a look at the first group of disciples who were wondering what happened. It was the women who went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' corpse. Have a look at it with me. Verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Now, I reckon you've got a feel for these poor women. Uh, They were devout followers of Jesus. They were there at the foot of the cross when Jesus let out his last anguished cry. But unable to bury Jesus properly due to religious laws, they had to wait until Sunday to finish the burial. Finally, Sunday arrives. And at the very first crack of dawn, they're up to attend to their lost Lord. But when they get to the tomb, the stones rolled away. Curious enough. But nothing compared to what they find when they enter the tomb, Jesus' body is gone. And then to top it all off, we're told in verse 4 that while they're wondering about all this, two men in clothes gleaming like lightning are suddenly standing beside them. Talk about a rough morning. I don't reckon you can blame the women for wondering what had happened. And as we share the women's confusion, Luke gives us our first explanation. Verse 5. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So the first explanation that we're given of the empty tomb is that Jesus has risen from the dead. Why do you look for the living among the dead, the men asked. And in terms of explaining why Jesus is back alive, all we get here is the fact that Jesus himself predicted it. He had said that this is what must happen to him. Now, it's a curious thing, I think, for him to say it must happen to him, that he's crucified and then come back to life. And As we wonder about why he had to die and rise again, Luke moves us on to the next disciples who will flounder as they wonder what to make of the empty tomb. Verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So now it's Peter's turn to see the empty tomb and he walks away, wondering to himself what's happened. Then Luke takes us to another set of disciples a little later that day and they too are wondering about it all. Two of the disciples are walking their way to the town of Emmaus. And as they're walking and talking, Jesus himself comes and walks along with him. They don't recognize him. And so Jesus asks them, what were you talking about? And the disciples are flabbergasted. But how could this man not know what's happened in Jerusalem the past few days? And so they fill him in. Come down to verse 19. What things, Jesus asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. 
He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we'd hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. See, just like Peter, these disciples, they haven't got a clue how to make sense of the news of Jesus risen from the dead. We hear them wondering out loud as they talk to Jesus. And it's at this point that Luke now gives us our second explanation. He gives us more information, this time from the lips of Jesus himself, as to why he rose from the dead. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus here explains his resurrection from the dead as being according to God's plan. That's why he rose from the dead. In the Old Testament, in the scriptures, God had said that his Christ would have to suffer and then the Christ would enter into his glory. God had it planned this way right from the beginning. No accidents. There's nothing out of control here. The Christ must suffer and then enter his glory. God's plan. But as helpful as this explanation is, it raises some questions, doesn't it? I mean, why did the Christ, God's appointed king, why did he have to suffer? And what's his glory that he's going to enter into after he's been killed? Well, we're not told here. We just have to keep reading. And as we do, we see that the disciples continue to remain wondering about what had happened. Uh, After Jesus and the two disciples, they reach Emmaus. Uh, They have a meal together. The disciples finally recognize Jesus. They realize that, yes, he is actually alive. But as soon as they recognize Jesus, Jesus disappears. So these two disciples run back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples, Jesus really has risen from the dead. But Jesus only just gives them enough of a chance to tell their story and then he reappears to monumentally steal their thunder. But even appearing in person to all of his disciples, they're still wondering yet again to make sense of it all. Come down to verse 35. Verse 35. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? See, even when he's right there in front of them, they're still wondering about this whole rising from the dead thing. They just can't take it in. They think he's a ghost. And so Jesus gives two more explanations. And the first is that he's really, truly, physically alive. This is why there was no body back in the tomb, because his body's right here in front of them. His corpse came back alive. Jesus bodily walked out of the grave. Verse 39. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's just bending over backwards to show them that it's really him. He's not some disembodied spiritual ghost. He's not an apparition. He is truly, physically alive again. Jesus' resurrection from the dead here is explained in the most wonderful of terms that there is real life beyond the grave. I don't know what your picture of eternal life is. Uh, If you go by the TV ads or the movies, it'll mean something like floating around like a ghost and playing a harp on some cloud somewhere for a very long time. Now that, I think, is pretty boring, especially if you didn't learn to play the harp. (laughs) It's not very inviting, is it? Thankfully, that is not what God has in store for those who follow the Lord Jesus. It's not half-baked, airy-fairy life, leaving the body behind only half a life. No, God promises real, eternal, physical life. If you and I are there together in eternal life, we'll run and dance and laugh. It's life that God has promised in Christ. Resurrected life, eternal, physical life, full life, life that never ended, life as it was always meant to be. And how do we get to share in this life? Well, Luke's got one last explanation for us, again from the lips of Jesus. And this is the most comprehensive explanation because here we're told why Jesus rose from the dead and what it means for you and me, how we can have life after death too. Verse 45, verse 45, then he, that's Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now again here we have that note of it all being according to God's plan. Jesus repeats it was all written in the scriptures but note the extra explanation we're given here in verse 47 and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Friends, the extra explanation we're given here is that because Jesus rose from the dead, we can be forgiven of our sins. This is why Jesus had to die, because it was the only way we could be forgiven by God. Because as we saw on Friday, Jesus died for our sins. His death for sin, it was sufficient. He has dealt with our sin once and for all. And so having paid completely for sin in his death... He no longer had to stay dead. And so he came back alive. He rose from the dead. He's able to forgive sins. This final explanation of Christ's resurrection, the significance of it, is that it means that Jesus can personally make you and me right with God. This is part of the glory that Christ has entered into. He is the saviour of the world. He can forgive you. And so save you from God's judgment. In the end, Christ's resurrection, it's not just an idea or a point of debate. Christ's resurrection from the dead shouts out that Jesus can personally take care of your sins for you. Meeting the Queen for most people is just an idea. 
Uh, you can wonder about it. You can imagine what you'd say. You can think of ways of how you'd make the conversation normal instead of being all formal and proper, if that was possible. But in the end, it's just an idea, isn't it? Because it won't happen. That's exactly what John and Francis Canning thought. That was until a little over two weeks ago. They were getting married at Manchester, at Manchester Town Hall on the 23rd of last month. And it turned out that the Queen was going to be visiting the same building at the same time. And so, tongue-in-cheek, John wrote a letter inviting the Queen to their wedding. Don't know if you don't ask. Now, as expected, they got a reply saying, unfortunately, this would not be possible. However, after the ceremony, the staff at the town hall asked the newlyweds to wait in the corridor because secretly the palace had made arrangements for the Queen to pop in on the wedding. And so John and Francis were asked if they'd like to meet the Queen and of course they said yes and so there they were within a few minutes face to face with the Queen of England. They were stunned. Though you'll be pleased to know they did remember to curtsy and whatever else you meant to do. Afterwards they said the Queen was really nice and gracious. What was just an idea turned into real life. Friends, Christ's resurrection is similar. Some people are happy to treat the empty tomb as an idea. Uh, We can chat about it and debate whether or not it happened, and there is a place for this, but in the end, Christ's resurrection is not just an idea. It's real life. Jesus is truly alive today, and he's saying to you and to me, right now he's saying... He can forgive our sins and give us eternal life. So you're still wondering about Christ's resurrection. Because we need to realise that coming to terms with Christ's resurrection is personal. Because it means coming to terms with Jesus himself. Because he's alive. He truly rose from the grave. He's been installed as the king over all the world. He came back from the dead so that sinners like us could be forgiven and have eternal life. What are you going to do with that? How do you respond to a person who's done something like that? How have you responded to the Lord Jesus? I said at the start that many of us here today base our lives on Christ's resurrection from the dead. And it's not because it's a cool party trick. But because the Lord Jesus coming back from the grave, that means he has personally burst into our lives. He has guaranteed us physical, eternal life beyond the grave. He has forgiven us all of our sin. And there's no one else in heaven or on earth that can do this. Christ is alive, personally alive. And if you personally decide to ignore or reject or disregard the Lord Jesus, then he'll personally decide to ignore, reject, and disregard you. And you don't want that, seeing as he's the only one who can forgive our sins. Instead, you should turn away from your sins. You should ask Christ for forgiveness and eternal life. And seeing as that's exactly why he died and rose again, if you ask him, What do you think he'll say? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead. Thank you that he's truly alive, physically, bodily, walked out of the tomb. And Father, thank you that that means that he is the king and saviour of the world, that he can forgive us of our sins. 
and give us eternal life. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we pray for each one of us here this morning that we will personally come to terms with the risen Jesus. Father, thank you for the hope, the certainty, the forgiveness that we can find in him. Amen.